And now it's time for the Jambalaya with the Kingfish. Studio space for the Jambalaya provided by WYAB, the place for true conservative talk radio in the Jackson metro area. This podcast is sponsored by Guns and Gear. Don't be that guy who shows up to the deer camp with a jammed up gun because it hasn't been cleaned. Guns and Gear in Gluckstadt has a full service gunsmith on site who can clean, repair, or refurbish any gun. Guns and Gear offers barrel threading, custom gun builds, and Cerakote from single color to custom patterns that will transform your gun to look like it came right out of a movie. Give your gun new light. Guns and Gear, located on the corner of Yandale Road and Highway 51 in Gluckstadt. Follow them on Facebook for daily deals. Today on the Jambalaya with the Kingfish, we have former Hines County County Court Judge William Skinner. You should see this guy now. When he first came in, I haven't seen him in probably four, five, six years. He was a pretty fit guy, still very fit guy, but he looked like, you know, he's about a 50-year-old Marine back then. You know, he had the crew cut, the shades, the whole nine yards. I mean, he looked like he was an E. He looked like he was an E7 back in the Marine Corps. Had banged a few, killed a few, the whole nine yards. You know, and of course he had that little crazy look in his eyes too. And if you know him, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Having said that, he walks in today. It's like Richard Marchenko. I mean. <laughs> You know, it's like him. You see him in his service uniform. It's nice, high, and tight. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Le- lean up a little well, bit. You know, it's funny. But wait, and then I see you now, and you'd see Richard Marchenko on the covers of his books. You see this guy with a full beard, and he's got long black hair and a ponytail. Man, I mean, it's like Gandalf revisited, you know? Yeah, I need to put my earrings back in. It'd make me Oh, more. don't. Oh. <laughs> You know what started this hair thing? The, the week before I retired, we went to a, a restaurant in Flowood, and I won't call the name of the restaurant, but uh, three girls and I were sitting there. We were drinking a glass of wine, and uh, the it, it took a little bit longer. Sacramento time. wine, I'm sure. It was, uh, I think it was Woodbridge Merlot, so it was not too bad. But uh, the we, wait, we, got, we got to teach you. The waitress came and said, uh, uh, gave everybody else their food and walked off. And so a couple of minutes, you know, they're all waiting on me. So a couple of minutes later, she walks back and sticks my plate down in front of me, turns around to walk off. She turns back around and said, aren't you Judge Skinner? And I said, no, ma'am, that's my brother, and I don't care much for him. And uh, <laughs> simultaneously, all of us looked at the kitchen door, and there was three guys that I had out on bond standing <laughs> there. So you know they had whipped me up something special. Uh-huh. And so, needless to say, we didn't eat. We got up and walked out the door. And when I walked out the door, I told them then, I said, a year from now, y'all not going to recognize me. So it's been, all, you know, January will be three years since I retired. So started growing the hair out. And, you know, so, and I have people come up to me all the time. I had a lady come up to me at Walmart and said, aren't you Judd Skinner? And I said, no, ma'am. She said, if you didn't have all that hair, you would look just like him. And I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I'm not him. And she said, well, he was so good to my family. I just wanted to tell him thank you. I said, ma'am, he sounds like a fine guy, but I'm not him. <laughs> and I just walked off. I, you know, it's, uh, when, you, when you spend your career, law enforcement and judiciary, putting people in jail or taking their kids away in youth court, you know, you have a tendency He's, to... You still haven't had the hot chick who comes up there and say, you gave me a great deal of my bond. I want to re- I want to return the favor. No, I do have them come up and say, can I touch your hair? They <laughs> 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 say, your hair, how, how do you get your hair so curly? I said, I get out of the shower and I, I take off. And I said, it just works out that way. Um, 
has that ever happened before in restaurants where you go out to eat and someone is like, hey, I remember you, and you're like, maybe I shouldn't eat here? Uh, many the times. First, many times? Actually, uh, when I first got elected judge, we got in the habit of asking people that we were putting out on bond where they worked. Yeah. And if they worked at a restaurant, my court administrator would make a note of what restaurant so they you had were. A, you had a list. We had a extensive list of places we could not eat. There was only, you know, I could eat at Crescelles and I could eat at uh, El Dorado Mexican Restaurant in Byron because I knew those See, people. Crescelles the one I figured you no, would have those people working. No, Bob. I, I mean, I knew Bob too well. And, and one of the girls that did work there, she uh, had gone through my drug court. And... Uh, so she was great. She said, you know, you saved my life and got my child back, she said, because of going through your drug court. So, and she's still mm -hmm. drug-free. So it was, uh, you know, so I could eat there. But most of the time, one of my girls would go get something to eat, and we'd go to my house and eat because we just couldn't go anywhere. You know, and, and of course, you had me plastered all over Jackson Jambalaya, and, and the news had me every week, you know. So I, it was very few places I could go. And, like you say, I had the crew cut and – I had to look, so I guess uh, people would pay attention oh, to Oh, yeah. It. I remember I read about one particular incident. won't go into that here, and let me tell you something. I caught – I had strong defenders on that one. It's one of those deals where you have – I had strong defenders and also had people who were pretty ticked off, too. It was one of those deals. It was a judgment call, yeah. you know? Well, and you know, I, most and of, I would do the same thing again. Well, you know, most of the people that uh, ran their mouth about me, of course, didn't know me. Didn't have a clue. Never been mm -hmm. in my court. Didn't know me. And uh, so, you know, what's old saying? When you're in your 20s, you worry about what people think of you. When you're in your 40s, you really don't care what people think of you. And when you get to be in your 60s, you realize they wasn't thinking of you at all. So They weren't. <laughs> you know, and so I really have never paid attention to what naysayers said because most of them, well, anybody that, li you know, post under anonymous I don't pay much attention well, to. But and a lot of people that were blogging, talking about me on your website were friends of mine that were gigging me. And they would tell me, they say, have you been to Jackson down below? And I said, no, why? And they said, go on there, man. I, I, I wore you out. I picked, <laughs> I picked about you wearing a tank top or something, you know. And, oh, I remember uh, those. That was John Lewis, you know. It was John Lewis. Yeah, that, that sounds like something so he would John, do. Yeah, John he was would making comments. Me, yeah. And there was some of it improved because it said you're using the steroids oh, and yeah, tank tops I, I and tight shorts that. and all that. Well, you know, the steroids were back in the law enforcement days. That's not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not. Oh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you a funny story now. about those. Um, one time, um, Brandon Police Chief, he puts out an ad. It's about two years ago for police officers, and it's saying no drugs, et cetera. You know, it has their list of criteria. But the way he worded it, it made it look like, you know what, if you're, do if you're juicing, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter, you know. And <laughs> well, I even, all you got to do is go to Rankin County, and you can see it doesn't matter. Well, <laughs> or it used to be the Highway Patrol, too. Yeah. That's, that's but I true. sent him an email. I said, so I guess steroids are okay, huh? He goes, no, why? I said, well, just read your thing the way it's your release, the way it's written. <laughs> and, man, he put that prominently in. Well, you know, <laughs> when, I, when we were doing it, you know, this is back in the 80s. SWAT team, you know, I was on the SWAT team. I was 216 pounds, a better body through chemistry. Oh, you go, you go to Gold's Gym over you here, know, Jackson Athletic. I mean, that yeah. juice was just you know, flowing. And, and it was back then. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a, a Schedule Three drug. It was just a prescription drug. So you could get 80s? it all day long. Oh yeah. Wow. You could get it all day long. And, and then so, you could back in the 70s. And because Ar Arnold, Arnold has said. Oh, well, Dynabol was his big. And that was the drug we used because Dynabol was considered the drug yeah. back in the 70s and 80s. And so we did Dynabol. And then everybody started doing Equifor, which is really a horse steroid, but it's a testosterone. And and you could get it at the uh, 
uh, local feed stores, you could get a big bottle of it for like $25. How many vets ran short of Winstraw? Uh, a bunch. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, we would use that when we we're trying to get ready for a contest or something. But everybody was big. I like it when they then. discovered DMSO at the uh, supply store. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, they come in the gym just reeking of that stuff. Well, you know, back then... You wanted to be bigger than the guys you were going up against. Yeah. And that's what we did. I mean, the SWAT team guys were big. And not everybody on the SWAT team was taking steroids by any means. But you got to remember, when I got on the police department in 1980, I, I went in the police department, and when I graduated, with a firearm on my side and a vest on, I weighed 134 pounds. And two years later, I weighed 180 and then yeah. 216 pounds. And it was not because I was eating 20 peanut butter sandwiches a day. Now, I was eating about 8,000 calories a day, but I was, you know, the only way I could get big was juice. And I was strong and, you know, mm -hmm. big guy. And it worked good for a while till I got hurt. And then when, it, when I got hurt, it was over. That is the problem with, yeah. with the juices. I like what Arnold says, which is back in the 70s, they could do it under a doctor's That's supervision. It. If you got it, if something got out of whack, they could monitor it, yeah. which I think they should be able to do now. Well, we did back then. I we think they should be did. for that very reason. That's There's right, a safety reason there. But now what's happened is, I mean, the pressure is just so intense. And let's be honest, most of the time we're talking about a lot of guys who aren't that bright. That's right. And, you know, talked about before, now it's not just the HGH, the growth hormone, all that. Now these knuckleheads are dumping like just tons of insulin into yeah. their system. Yeah. And when you see the guys with those bubble guts, I mean, that's what I you're seeing it. is. That's exactly like, what was right. it. Phil Heath won like seven or eight Olympias. I mean, and, he, and Dorian Yates his last year or two had started to have one. And he says it was, he said it on Rogan, it's because of the insulin. That's right. And he's guys, and that shit fucks with your pancreas. Sorry, well, guys you know, who are listening, but that's ex, that's the best word for it. That's well, what it, it does. It stays with too. your liver and your pancreas. And yes, you're, you've had people who have, guys who have done too much of that insulin and they have died from it. And, and, and you see them on the list for a liver transplant. Yeah. Uh, you know, back then. It's crazy. We didn't have access to all that stuff. Bodybuilders today, you know, they, they don't take Dynabol anymore. They take Trend. No, they graduated. You know, they take Cestanon 250, Trend. They take, uh, you know, they take everything. And then they're yeah. cutting up with T3, and they're taking, uh, uh, you know, Clen, Clenobuterol, mm -hmm. and they're taking all this stuff. And this stuff is to be used in cycles. Well, they don't cycle off of it. Because wow. they get paid big bucks to look like that year round. Yeah. And, you know, they've got these sponsors. And I had a friend of mine tell me that the normal Mr. Olympia, uh, 14 weeks out from competition, spends $150 on drugs. Well, $150? No, $150,000. Yeah, excuse me. $150,000. And that includes uh, human growth hormone. And if you know you know anything about human growth hormone. And remember, hormone, this is supposed to be bodybuilding, that's promoting right. body that's health. Right. And what it really is is... Wrecking your body. Well, you look at the guys that just won uh, the 21 Olympia. Uh, I'd have they, it. These guys are, you know, now the classic looks good. That's the Frank. That, those guys mm -hmm. look like Frank Zane and Arnold. Now, back and now in if the you're day. listening to this, what's happened is because there's been a little bit of backlash against the freak look, they've started a classic look, which is more like what you'd see in the 70s and early 80s, which is more aesthetic. That's right. It looks more like a moving statue of sorts. I, I like those not guys, that look. Not these just mass monsters who just look like freaks. That's right. Well, when your waist 
is as, as thick as your chest is, you got a problem. And and these guys that yeah, are and that, that didn't used to be the case. I mean, right. Arnold was like what 36, 34, right. 32 inch waist. And Frank Zane was thirty. Yeah, in the waist, you know. So he, you but he was a small guys, guy. And you had these guys. And Frank Zane was one in Olympia, weighed like, one hundred ninety pounds. Yeah, he's like 180, 190, yeah. yeah. And so you no, know, those guys had that classic look. I never did want to be one of these mass monsters. I always liked that cut look. And so that's why even at two sixteen. I was walking around with a body fat in, in the single digit numbers. But it, but it tears up your body. It does. My, and, you know, my chiropractor got... would tell he he just retired, but he told me about because he worked out at my gym and he's my off and on partner for a long time. And he said, "You ought to see the X rays of these guys." And he named some names at the gym. And he says, "When they are in their forties and fifties, you ought to see the X rays of their necks, their backs, and their shoulders because." They've been juicing and overlifting for so long. They have now they're getting older and they have totally blown them out. Well, when and I they was, have all kinds of problems, right. they really can't that's fix right. or have to go through some really nasty surgery. Well, I've to had do 14 it. shoulder surgeries, uh, mm-hmm. eight on the right and six on the left, and getting ready to have my. Why do you think you did? Seven. Just lifting too much? Well, I actually I got hurt in the line of duty, but I think what had happened was I was so big at the time mm-hmm. that my tendons could not keep up with the muscle yeah. growth. And, you know, because back then we weren't doing a lot of reps. We were pushing heavy weight. And uh, I don't think they could. And when I pulled my shoulder out of socket and I ran it up against the car to put it back in socket because we were, this guy had been shooting at us. We were in a shootout with him. Uh-huh. And it broke the ball off in my shoulder. And overcompensating for the right shoulder, I destroyed the left shoulder. But And, you know, and so it, it is what it is. But uh, well, would got, I change anything? Well, look, know. Dorian Yates, you know, and back when I was – you know, in school, I mean, that was the guy in the gym. That's Everybody it. was, ooh, you know, Dorian Yates. And Dorian was, Yates would push heavy, excuse heavy Excuse me, weights. ruled an Olympia. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, look at all. He started having that big old bubble gun. That's but it. today, right now, I probably lift more than he does because he oh, yeah. can't do bench presses anymore. He can do some push-ups, and that's about it. He does a lot of yoga. I mean, he still looks fit now. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. He does look like some fat slob who, like an NFL lineman 20 yeah. years later, you know. But... If you look at him now, he looks good, but his strength is pretty much gone. But then you go look at Ronnie Coleman, who got totally stupid. And, and the, there's well, a really good Netflix. Pounds, 900 pounds. Have you seen that Netflix show with him? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, and folks. It'll break your heart. And folks, there's a, if you're into this sort of thing, or just athletics, all right, there is a Netflix documentary on Ronnie Coleman. He won Mr. Olympia about eight, eight, times. eight times. Eight times. And... Originally from Monroe, Louisiana, which to us from down south, that he's a Yankee. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to us, if you're above Alexandria, you're a Yankee. Yeah. That's what we say. Well, he's from Shreveport. <laughs> That's what's wrong with him. So, But but anyway, so. That's what Justin Wilson used to say. Uh, and he was reflecting the culture down there. Trust me. So, but that guy is, like, not even recovered. He would have major back surgeries, and he is on crutches and still going to the gym, recovering from back surgery, doing these monster leg presses and doing monster squats. And that guy literally has made it to where he is in his, what, early 50s, and late in 40s? A wheelchair, in a wheelchair. And cannot walk. Yeah, in a wheelchair. And all he needed to do is be smart about it, but he just – it was almost an addiction. Well, with if them. you watch the doctor on there, the doctor was interviewed and said, would you – what would you think? Would you think it'd be in Ronnie's best interest not to lift? And he said, "Yeah, but I'm not going to tell him that because it'd bury. You'd have to bury him." And and so, but I wondered if just him taking off just three or six months away from lifting would have know, just 
that uh that mentality is hard to get i mean i train every day i don't train heavy yeah. but i do a ton of different sets and do, do exercise just stay in set shape but i'm 62 years old yeah you know and so i try to keep my waistline from that corresponding with my age that's my goal <laughs> and i like to date women that are much younger than me i don't imagine i don't date women my age so <laughs> Ima- imagine kingfish you got the same problem too so man huh? <laughs> no my, no i don't have that problem nobody will put up with me that's you know but hey that's all right well look if you find somebody that puts up with you man you better hang on to them because the old saying is show them who you are right up front don't yeah. try to lie to them and if you got one that stays with you better hang with it of course i, <laughs> I got the same problem man I'm, I'm you know it's either feast or famine you either got 20 beating on the door or none now so. you, you got you got a point there no i've been always more of a high reps person i mean I, every yeah. now and then i would do some low reps high weight just to yeah. boost it a little bit but or just a change up but i've always been more of a higher reps well, i just tend and it, it I tend you from to get bigger just even doing higher reps, yeah. though. And I, I, I do me. a lot of different things. Like for back, I'll do 20 different back exercises and uh, do all this stuff. But I've got my own gym at my house. Yeah. So I don't go to a public gym anymore because if I did, that itch would hit me. Because when you're seeing them 22-year-old kids and they're pushing all this weight that are juicing, I would want to be back on the juice, and so I don't do that. So I've got my own gym. I can train everything at home. That's what I kind of like when we had more gyms around here because you had had a couple that were more of the juice gyms, and they kind of kept that whole crowd over there. You didn't have to fool with it as much. But, man, I tell you what, back in the, like, 90s around here, you would see – yeah, you, you could pretty much tell who was juicing and stuff. Even at my gym, the courthouse, I mean, we had guys in there who got busted dealing and stuff. I mean, you know, well, just, you know, just I mean, part it of it. It was pretty prominent. I, I'm, lately, my latest uh, gig is, you know, UMC shut down all those gyms. I think you've yeah, even blogged don't, about don't, it. Yeah, don't get me started. I know you've blogged about it several times. but Well, I, I mean, the thing about UMC was they had this deal where they came – the thing was Johnny, what's was no Jimmy? What's his name? That was uh, the vice chancellor or whatever had Luann's job, yeah. I think, at UMC. Jimmy Keaton, Doctor Keaton, yeah. and he and I think Black Junior, what second, whatever he is, Johnny Black. They were like frat buddies together. They worked out a deal. They did the swap. The, he sold the courthouse, or however they worked it out. They did that, and then it wasn't too soon long afterwards where. Jimmy Keaton and the other people who had put the deal together pretty much retired or left UMC. So you had Cook come in there, CEO. Then you had Luann come in there. And these were all – it's like the athletic director who comes in there and has this football coach that he's got questions about. He didn't hire him either, you know, so he's kind of looking me like LSU right now, you know, but to get rid of him. You know, that was Luann. She pretty much – they had a good plan worked out where they were going to tie it into UMC, to the healthcare system, and do some stuff. They brought in this power management team, company from Chicago. I mean, this is what power management apparently does around the country. I mean, when it was explained to me a couple of years ago, okay, then it all made sense. And then what, what happened was all those plans, they came in and just stopped. And you, you can tell when something's being left to wither on the vine because – no money was being put into the gyms. No money was being spent by UMC. I mean, frankly, I've always UMC is somewhat of a they're a pretty poor manager. Yeah. Period. Okay, that system has a lot of problems, a lot of problems. And so anyway, so that you could just tell they start closing down one after another. They didn't really try to make them work. I mean, the one downtown. Then we're going to change subjects, but the one downtown was a lease. And they put money into renovating that thing and later shut down. And they wouldn't spend money renovating Northeast 
or no, wait, they would spend money on renovating the ones that were leased, then shut them down. You can't get your money back out of a lease like that. Yeah. But the ones that they actually own, they didn't really spend any money fixing up, but they shut them down. You can't. I well, mean, the one you're by just your going, house. what? Have you been in the one by your house since I shut it down? Northeast? Yeah. I went there a couple of years ago after it shut down because okay, well, you... they needed a bunch of equipment over at, um, we had, we didn't have enough plates over at Lakeland. Yeah. So went over there one day, manager and I got along well. So went over there because he didn't work out. So I said, I think I pretty much know what you need over here. Okay. So we went over there, met him one day and it was just amazing. This, the shape that gym was in, in just a short amount of time, just because they let it go. Yeah. They kept the air going and all that stuff. But for well, the most part, apparently it, they cut the air off after you, um, and and the tennis and I lo- used to play tennis. I love yeah. the clay courts, the Rubico courts they had there. It's, and the Rubico, love. It's a lot easier on your knees, your joints. Yeah. And that was a nice thing about Battlefield. Was Battlefield actually has Rubico courts yeah. or used to? I don't know if they still do. Well, you know, I still buying on. equipment. Hang, from. hang on, but they, but those courts. I mean, Wayne told me it would cost too much to fix those up. The courts up now, they've been just, they just let them go. And that's what UMC did to the whole thing. Well, the only good thing that's come out yeah. of it for me with UMC is they started auctioning off on governmentbids.com all their equipment. I wish I'd have known that. I, I didn't know it till I got in the game late. Again, they're not telling, hey, you yeah. want to? I got in the game How late. many people here would have bought that shit, you know what I mean, that's if they'd right. have known about it? Let me tell you what I did. Uh, I've got about... 20 Cybex machines and equipment I bought from them. You can have Cybex. Well, I got, when, you, when you've had the shoulder injuries I've had, they actually work out pretty you good. You can have Cybex. But they, uh, they over, they're over-engineer stuff. They, they do over-engineer stuff. And I mean, you'll have, a leg, you'll have a leg curl with like five different adjustments. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, the good thing about two. it, uh, <laughs> I, I got seven Cybex machines on yeah. a bid for $500. Wow. Okay. I Google it, and the ones I got add up to twenty four thousand. Yeah, I know. So right now, I, I've got in my home. I think like got, anywhere from three to seven thousand a piece. I've got four thousand. Uh, I've got roughly two thousand dollars in some Cybex equipment, wow. and I've got forty thousand dollars worth of Cybex equipment in my house right now. Wow. So I've got a nice setup, and uh, you know, and every morning at five thirty, I'm in my gym. And there you go. And uh, it works out good. Well, I don't, I, I I don't have to deal with anybody else sweating on my equipment. I won't be doing any lifting no, for a few that. weeks. Well, no, I mean. <laughs> it, it didn't look too. I went ahead and invested in this little um, program called Dragon by a company called Nuance. And it's a talk to text program. And I started using it the last few days. And I tell you what, I was, I mean, I did a long post yesterday. It was like I was writing the thing out myself, not copy and pasting and it was like, yes, now now it, I feel normal again. And I, it actually understands you. And let me tell you something. It, it, this thing is real AI. It learns your inflections, your accents, how you talk, your phrasings. I mean, it adapts to you. And it's actually what they, they have a version for hospitals. They have a version for lawyers, for police. I mean. I tried to use the lawyer version back in the 90s. Oh, maybe th- it, it's it not horrible. even. It's it not horrible. even. You can't even. And matter of fact, we the uh, stuff, it the, just The stuff now. Yeah. I mean, I downloaded it a couple of days ago, and it was like plugged in a microphone, a headset, and just started talking, and it was amazing. You know, I mean, once you get in yourself in the habit of saying a sentence and say period, or you yeah. know, including your punctuation yeah. marks in it, then it's really interesting. But you know, it'll be back. But it was funny the way I would, of course, you know, having this deep Southern accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I figured most of those programs were developed in New York, and so it uh, it just didn't catch on to my. 
language. <laughs> no, it's gotten better. Uh, I'm glad it has. I'm I glad mean, to hear that. I mean, I, you can't even compare AI between in software like that yeah. between now and the 90s. Oh, yeah. You just can't well, even. two years ago. I mean, if you had something two years ago, it's, it's obsolete now. So they Hell, really, six months ago yeah, sometimes. They, well, that's on computers. I can get <laughs> If you see a computer on sale and they say, well, it's a 220... Uh, 2021 computer and if it's on sale it's you, already obsolete are so. you pretty literate with computers I, I, you know i know how to turn it on and do what i need See, to that's what impressed me about leland speed he was like he, when he died like this year he was like 88 yeah but he stayed on it all the time he was and let me tell you something literate. that 80 and mr mcgowan's the same way by yeah. the way is that man was 88 believe me he knew how to he had his iPhone totally figure it out. He had his iPad totally figure it out. He had all of it figured out. Yeah. He had Alexa figure it out because when he's, the ALS started kicking his butt, then he became an expert with Alexa. <laughs> I mean, but that was a guy who was not going to let any – I mean, he had – the last few years he'd had macular degeneration because I'd have to drive him around a bunch because he couldn't drive it. Yeah. You know what? He learned how to take his iPad and adjust the fonts, adjust everything on there so he could read. I mean, that guy was not going to let any of this stop him, and he learned all that tech yeah. stuff. And so, did, and Mr. McGowan is pretty good, too, by the way. So all this, oh, I'm too old. No, you're not. <laughs> well, you know, my thing is, if I, have a, if I have a question, I just call up my 18-year-old daughter, and, you know, she directs me through it. Or you I don't need to. Just, just Google the question. You'll get the answer yeah, right there. So. That's what I do. I just Google the question. <laughs> it works out pretty good. I just Google so. it. But switching subjects, um, I tell you what What happened last night. I'm going to bed last night. About 11 o'clock, all of a sudden, I get a tip about, I get an email from a reader who, who lives downtown and says, hey, look, man, we just had this major shootout over here. What the... I'm like, and he sends me a picture. I'm going, what the hell's going on here? So I call up a couple of more people I know who live downtown. And they told me exactly what happened, which is you had a car chasing another car down Ferris Street, hauling ass. They turn on the Capitol Street and they just pull out the rifles and start just blowing, not just shooting at the car, just spraying everywhere. Apparently, in front of the federal building. The federal court. Federal and not the courthouse, they, but yeah, the federal building. Federal, they turn right there yeah. at the Mayflower, came yeah. on up. And the car runs into the wall I mean, those poor schmucks have been, you know, renovating that place, getting it ready, and here it comes, boom. You know, hits several cars. These guys got away, and I doubt they'll ever catch them, of course. You know. Welcome what, to Jacktown. Well, but what's sad is it's not far-fetched. You could have had a couple of rounds go the wrong way and hit the mansion. That's right. You well, know, you know, and, you broke, and, this, and you broke that story. Channel 3 didn't run the story till this evening because I watched it on Channel 3. But this they spent most of the day, they had two reporters running yeah. down information. They, there's a reason. And uh, But I noticed when you broke the story, you know, of course, nobody else, none of the other local media had broke the story. And it was as if they were trying to keep it quiet. No, and, no, here, here's, what, here's what usually happens, okay? They don't have nighttime. Like when I say night, nighttime, I mean graveyard reporters like they used to. Yeah. Once that evening show ends at 1030, unless they're covering an active story that started earlier, 11 o'clock, except for the technical crew, they've pretty much gone home. And you know, at five o'clock in the morning when they come home, they're not, I mean, is it 4.30? 4.30. I mean, when Linda, they when Linda Allen was an anchor and Howard Ballou, I mean, and Howard Ballou, I mean, how, how many times we've had conversations on the phone, like 11 o'clock at night, that's when they would call me, is yeah. on their way home just to talk, you know, yeah. on the way home, you know, but it was always like late, late. But once they all leave, there's no, there's not a night desk there. Then finally, when the reporters come in about four in the morning, then you can get somebody on it, but not until then. Yeah. So that's one reason. Now, one or two of them contacted me this morning. Hey, can we use your stuff, your pictures and stuff? Do we have your permission? I'm like, as long as you give me attribution, that's fine. Go ahead, you know. And I don't mind doing that because 
some places would mind, but to me, it just gives me more credibility. It does. And I think that's it's a good not, idea anyway. It's not so much about the hits, but so much about, you know, just, okay, people, well, hmm, who's that? But that this story really resonated today. I mean, it was just, I mean, because like Brunini, I was told this evening, like one round went through like four windows, four well, walls. Well, it's obvious they wouldn't. Uh, and you, and you see it, you see it, I got one shot, I think, of the federal building, a window just being yeah, blasted out, you know, that. and it was like other buildings had... Like Pinnacle had several blasted out, you know. I mean, so did others. And like I said, it would not have been hard for it to go hit well, the mansion. They, they interviewed the governor tonight, and I saw they said he, you know, did you hear it? He said, "Yeah, I heard it." He said, "You know, the good thing he's got security." There's two fucking clips. I, but I, I'm disappointed. I mean, because, a friend you know, of mine went out there, counted about thirty in the street that he saw. Well, you know, what was it? A couple of months ago, they they said they were going to put all these highway patrol in Jackson and start doing all this stuff for about a, a two weeks. Two, on, two months. Well, about it wasn't months. even that long. On, on two twenty, every Friday morning, I'm headed to Holmes County to my farm, and for two weeks, it was great. I mean, you didn't get run over out there on the Indianapolis 500, Mm-mm. you know, so it was pretty good because they were stopping everybody. Hadn't seen one out there in a month. Hadn't seen a trooper. I saw in a him month. for about a month or t- about a month, six weeks or so, somewhere yeah. in there. But the thing was, I think they should have done. I say, okay, you got your guys working the interstates. Okay, great. So you got glorified ticket riders out there, well, and they're and they're going to chase them because a couple of them, people at DPS, told me how some of these Jackson speeders were surprised they were actually getting chased. That's right. They were like, huh? And, and getting tickets. Yeah. <laughs> and so what happens though is. What I would want to see is, let's go over to Highway 80, because that's, that's Highway Patrol jurisdiction, right. too. Well, it all is now. Now, start working Highway 80 and start yeah. doing some real roadblocks here, like like JPD does on Medgar Evers right outside the interstate. We here. used to do them all the time. Well, the thing is, now you now you talk about, like they said on the wire, real, real police work. Yeah. Because you're going to need probably six, seven, eight troopers but you start doing roadblocks on Highway 80, that would actually help West Jackson out because you're going to start picking up guys with warrants. You're going to start getting cars with illegal guns, legal drugs in there. That would actually make more of a difference than, than some of this 220 stuff. I'd like to start seeing some of that. 220 was nothing but a, a, you know, a little grandstand in the show that we're out here. So far, I mean... And the, I, I was disappointed because they didn't stay And the Capitol Police, but I'd like to see the Capitol Police start doing something. Have you have you heard what's happened to Capitol Street on Sundays this year? Oh, that's... that's uh, you had you had one bar operating in Wasabi before they kicked him out or moved him out, yeah. and it was I mean if you lived over there on Sundays you couldn't get if you were trying to get in your house you couldn't if you're at home you were stuck I mean and then I've posted videos before. and it runs from State Street all the way oh they yeah go all the way down yeah it's car to car. Dirt bikes. Oh, you've wheelers. heard about this, huh? Oh, yeah. I've got friends, at law, but a couple of my law enforcement well, friends. I said, why are y'all not doing anything? I said, we, well, we were told that. Yeah, I mean, they've, called, they've, they've, they've raised hell with JPD, and they're flat, they're told to the side, Mary's told us don't do anything. I mean, I'm yeah. sorry, but this mayor is, he hasn't met a thug bar he don't like. No, he, uh, he's. Um, I remember when a certain supporter different. of his opened up a little, mm, little shady uh, strip club over on Northside Drive when he first became mayor. And, gee, they were in an area not zoned for strip clubs, but yet they were somehow operating anyway. Well, look, look at you the know? M Club. And you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Look at the M Club. You th- oh, had three shit. homicides there, and now they hold them out to be model citizens because they bought some cameras. You know, please well, here's, give me a break. Well, I mean, it's, it, not, I mean, it's, not, it's six, not just six, that. They're letting 16, 17-year-old girls in there. Serving them alcohol. Oh, yeah. Serving them alcohol. And where do you think the mayor hangs out? 
That's where he hangs out. Damn club. He goes in there with his entourage. I'm sure. And hangs out. Well, here's the other thing, too, that bothers me. And you see, like, Vance, who was a friend of mine. Yeah. A lot Lee, of respect I for I trained Lee when he went through the Blitz Academy. Oh, that's who we blame. Okay. Um, <laughs> he did. He actually did and, the best uh, imitation of me of anybody I've ever seen. He One night, I was... Lee had a, Lee had a crazy streak in him? I, I, oh, yeah. He was... Oh, wow. Look, I, I was a drill instructor at the time Lee went through the um, academy. And uh, I was staying on Sunday night. So when they got in, I would PT them till about 10 or 11 o'clock. Naturally. And so about 11 o'clock, uh, they were all going back there to take a shower. So I walked back there, and Lee was doing the perfect imitation. And I think he said, uh, he said, y'all keep this up. I'm going to run everybody's ass in here off, which is what I said, you know. And it was perfect. And he looked at me, and everybody was looking at me, and Lee was still doing his little imitation. He didn't, see didn't me. know that you were. And so I was standing there looking at him. I said, That's a pretty good imitation. You follow, everybody followed back out in your PT gear. By that morning, three people had quit. <laughs> and uh, I'm not, I think, had we not PT till daylight, they would have probably had a blanket party for now, Lee. I was that about night. to ask you, did they, yeah, they do would, a blanket uh, party for they Lee? Would, they would have lit Lee up that night. But by the time we oh, got man. through, it was time to take a shower and, and come to breakfast. I so. wish he was still alive so I could ask him that. Oh, he was. He used to brag about it and uh about two weeks before he died he was at a homeowner association and uh one of the things he's you know i was at the homeowner association that's where i live and he uh he got up there and he said look i don't know how well y'all know bill skinner but don't ever imitate him he said he'll kill your ass and it was funny because i wore him out he said that was the first and last time i ever imitated skinner, oh one time when i was in basic training <laughs> in fort jackson they were uh they had um they let us do some skits one night, and a and a couple of the troops they did their imitations of some of the drill sergeants. You know, now, they didn't smoke them for that, but every now when they were getting smoked for something else later on in they basic training, they would remind them of that. Though it, they were, they heard about it again. You know, it was uh, it was one of those moments, and everybody in Lee's class that he graduated with. Every time they see me, they said, man, that was a moment that we wanted to kill Vance. I bet y'all did. (laughs) It was good. Lee was, you know, he and I were friends, been friends a long time. We agreed on some things, and and we had some heated arguments on some other things. Oh, yeah, I mean, he, Especially he was, with gangs. He, 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 would was stand in, his, he would stand his ground. He was absolutely in denial about gangs. I know. And, I believe and me. He and I have had that argument. And uh, we had our argument in front of a room of about 40 FBI and law enforcement agencies around the state. And uh, so when we went back to the court that day, I told my staff, I said, now, from now on, every kid that comes in our court, we're going to ask them what gang they're involved in. And within two years, we had 800 kids that had said wow. uh, vice lords. Well, his attitude, though, a lot of them were gang wannabes. Yeah. Well, the, the, and they I would say, to, I'm a vice lord, but they really weren't, but they were trying well, I, to act you know, like I they were. I tried to tell Lee, I said, look, Lee, the wannabes are the worst ones because they'll, they got do, something to prove. Any, they'll do anything to impress yeah. somebody. And so that's the ones we need to worry about. Up until the end, before Lee died, he said, you know, he said, I never wanted to tell you then, but you were right. He said, that's our biggest obstacle down at the detention center is these gangs. Yeah. And uh, he said, uh, you were right. He said, however, at the time, under the administration I was working for, I could not acknowledge that we had a gang problem in Jackson. And, uh, Either administration you, know, you work for. Well, and, and that's sad. You know, of course, the current administration is oblivious to any gang problem we've had. Now, ironically, after Lee, I'd had a couple of uh, officers that used to come down to the 
detention center every week and get a list of the kids that were in gangs. Uh And so they kept up with that. Now, I don't know what they ever did with that, but they kept up with it. And the FBI would send an agent down there, and he he would come down there and get our list. And, uh, you know, they were making some cases on some of these kids because – you know, most people don't realize when a, when somebody gets out of the Department of Corrections, if they come back to Jackson, law enforcement is supposed to get a list of those people that are released. They're all supposed to get a list of what gang they're in. And so law enforcement has a heads up on who these people are and what they're doing. But, but they're not, uh, you know, they're not using that list. And they need to be using that list. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is my issue with JPD now. When I was on JPD... We were on offense. That's, I mean, we went out there. And when was for, this, though? This was in the 80s. You know, I got on Jackson okay. Police Department in 1980. And uh, we were on the offense. We'd go out there, and we policed. Who were the chiefs back then? Uh, Jim Black. Jim Black. Who yeah, else? And then Newell? Uh, Newell was mm-hmm. the chief. And uh, so who was the chief when I got on? Pope was the chief when I got on. Then Jim Black. Mm-hmm. Then you had um, a couple of interims, Corky Smith, and then Charlie Newell. Uh, you know, but back then, we were on the offensive. We went out there and policed. And uh, you, we'd get incentives on it. Like if you worked a midnight shift, you catch two or three burglars for midnight, you got the rest of the night off. And it, wow. was, it was common practice. To, I mean, you would bust your butt to, to do that. Now, we wasn't big ticket writers. I wasn't a big t- I didn't write tickets. I could care less about a ticket. But I was going to wear them out felony-wise because I policed. Now all they do is respond to calls. They're on the defensive now. So all well, they hell, do is have, re- A lot of times, I mean, you, you might have, like, the graveyard shift. What is it? Which, which, yeah, midnight shift. Which, which, what's that called, Charlie or Delta? It's Charlie Charlie shift, shift. yeah. And some precincts, I mean, you got 13 beats, you have like four or five officers, yeah. and that's it. Well, Inclu- when I was including on, the supervisor, when I worked the street, I was on precinct three, and I had the biggest beat in Jackson. Mm-hmm. I worked, uh, I had all that Clinton Boulevard, I had all that Presidential Hills, all that. And at that time, on, on the Flag Chapel Road, it was uh, uh, 330 uh, uh, White Rock Apartments. And the White Rock Apartments. Those are pretty bad. They were bad. They're torn down now, but they were. That was the worst apartment complex in Jackson. And what it was was when these people would get out of parchment, they could stay there for a dollar a month. Whatever your income was was what the the rent was. Nobody worked that area. I worked it. I policed Mm -hmm. it. We'd set up roadblocks out there on Flag Chapel, and we catch. We put a lot of people in jail, and um, you know, and we had fun doing it. Back then, you had a real camaraderie with law enforcement. Now they don't. You know, it's not that way. It's every man for himself. And that's a shame because back then it was a different time. And police had fun. We had fun. We pulled practical jokes on each other all the time. We I've did heard. stuff. And then, you know, we had a good SWAT team. We had one of the best SWAT teams in the country. Every, every competition we entered, we won. Mm-hmm. We were good. And, uh, you know, which was good for me because I was one of the trainer, the trainer on the SWAT team, you know, because I was at that time was a drill instructor at the academy. So we used the academy. We had Lieutenant Fisher all over the SWAT team. Bracey Coleman was a sergeant over the SWAT team. And, and uh, uh, Rochester was a sergeant. You know, you know Bracey yeah. was tabbed, don't you? Yeah. I mean, he was actually an honest to goodness E7, but he'd been all the way through Q course and Special Forces Oh, yeah, school. he'd been through he, Special he Forces. He was the real deal. Yeah, Bracey. Back then, you know, he might he, have been he, a questionable chief, but if you're look, if I'm out there in combat, that's the motherfucker. I'm out well, let me tell you this: you know? we back then our SWAT team was uh, cream of the crop, guys. Uh, I, when I got on the SWAT team, when I went, when I graduated the police academy, I was 21 years old. I was the youngest police officer on the police department, and uh, uh, within a year, I was on the SWAT team. 
we had an FBI came in and trained our SWAT team. And so you had this whole new group of people come through the SWAT team. And uh, I was one of the first ones picked that had gone through the school to be on the SWAT team. So you had this young, I was a young kid. And the next thing I know, I'm, you know, uh, training these guys. And it was great. I had a good time doing it. But I was fortunate enough to train SWAT teams all over the country. I got Mm -hmm. to go everywhere. I got to work with Navy SEAL 16s because back then, Navy SEAL 16s, when they were going to do a door entry, they threw a hand grenade in. Well, they were starting to do urban warfare, you know, starting to go in. So they were going door to door. They needed to learn how to go in a house. So I was, I had the opportunity to train them, and it was, it was a blessing to me. I, I, I had a good career. I mean, I mm-hmm. was blessed, you know. And uh, if had I not got hurt, I would have retired from the police department. I mean, that's what I, I loved doing what I did. Uh, what but, do you think of the sheriff's race right now? Back, who is your favorite sheriff out of all of them? Or do you want to say? <laughs> I really don't want to say, but... What do you think of the sheriff's race right now? Yes, sir. Uh, you got 13 people running for it. All right, so. but really about four or five real... Really? Well, you know, I would you got the, 13 the real, people the real that are... candidates. And, and you're right. Not the guys you know, just I, running to run. I think you know, Leon Seals is probably the guy to meet, to beat. They all yap about what we're going to do about crime in Hines County. Here's the re- here's the reality yeah. of it. First of all, you're this is where Tyrone I think messed up, which is when you come in there, your number one job is you are the county jailer, and because of a consent decree, you're the Jackson jailer too. That's right. Period. You're in charge of that jail, which Tyrone found out the hard way will ruin your career in a heartbeat. Exactly. And so, all right, you've got a consent decree. You have a federal monitor over your butt. So, and with this current Justice Department, they're really over you. So, you've got to keep track of that. Now, you have, and if the Justice Department had their way, you'd have you'd have to have 400 de- people out there at the, at the jail, which you don't have. That's, That's your right. whole department. So, on top of that, then you have to patrol, cover the non-municipal, everything except Byram, Clinton, and Jackson, yeah. or, which is a lot, but you still have a, you still have a good bit left, yeah. all right? So once you get through with your manpower needs for that, what do you have left for to go work crime in Jackson? What, 20, 25 deputies well, maybe? Know, basically and Lee and I had this conversation several times, and he'd always say, we just don't have the manpower. See, when Tyrone came in sheriff, sheriff, and he worked Jackson right. a lot, and Harvey didn't like that, by the way. Well, you know, the but number one did, thing you got to But then the, when the jail blew up on him. Well, the number one thing you look at is sheriff's budget. Right. Because you can't do anything without that budget. The nope. Board of Stupidvisors controls the budget. And I remember when and Stokes so, it was in charge of that board, and he cut them by like 2 or $3 million. Well, I'm gonna and tell I don't you, think they've ever gotten back from there. That's, that's, a, uh, that's the problem you got to deal with is the budget. you got 21 municipalities in Hines County. You know, you count Bolton, Edwards, Utica, Clinton. Jackson, you, you got UMC, it's got a police department. You have to count all these things. Mm-hmm. And when you start looking at that, you have to figure out how you're going to allocate your people. But the main problem with Hines County Sheriff's Department is running that detention center. If you didn't have that albatross around your neck, that too, you, you could actually make a difference in Hines County. But uh, no sheriff But that goes somebody in. has to run a jail that's and right. detention center. That's I mean, exactly that's right. just part of it. And, uh, you know, d- this is what I try to tell everybody. And Tyrone, we were at a gang conference. Uh, he had just gotten elected, had not been sworn in yet. And I trained Tyrone when he got on the police department. And he used to work out at the training academy with me. And 
Yeah, I got a picture I put up a few uh, months when, ago. It was a, hang on, I got it on my phone here. It was, when, fl- it was a flashback Friday post. When uh, Tyrone was a little skinny kid, and you know he blew up pretty quick. But no, know, ha- no, hang on, you're you're you're, you're going to get a <laughs> kick out. Of, you're going to get a kick out of this one. This is um. Is it when he first got on the police department? No, 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 no. Is no, after no, he swallowed? No, 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 no. You'll see. <laughs> Recognize these cats in this picture? Oh yeah. Name them. I uh, got Davis. I got Tyrone. Ja- okay, you got James Davis with you here. Got the- Alex McNeil, who I used to train with, and I've the- trained with him too. I can't think of the other guy's name. He works Caesar. Sh- yeah, Caesar. He works sheriff. So yeah, what, I- what I'm showing him is yeah. I've got this picture from the Clarion Ledger back in the '90s, and yeah. the bodybuilding show is coming up. And you've got Tyrone Lewis here. These guys were all competing. Yeah. So you have Tyrone Lewis, and you got Caesar. I forget his rest of his name. And then you got James Davis, and he's probably got the biggest pose in there. And then you've got Alex McNeil, who's a legend himself. He's actually a former, I think, Mr. America, if I'm not he mistaken. He won Mr. America. He and I were twice. training together when he won Mr. America. He actually, without going back into all that stuff, but he actually, back in the 60s, he told me he, he when he lived in Chicago, he would train with Arnold and Sergio Olivia. Yeah. Wow, uh, Alex is, uh, you know, he's uh, he's he's genetic freak. He never had to, calves. He never had to train his calves. They were just un- unbelievable. But back to but, Tyrone. But, but, but what Vic, but the way Victor treated him was, yeah. you know, the guy was retired, but he was he was working part time as a bailiff up yeah. there at, at security at the courthouse, yeah. you know, and you know, Victor came in there and just cut him loose. Just, a, I'm sorry, I think. He said, "Oh, I want full time people." Like, no, Victor did. He knew who he was. He yeah. did that just to fuck with him. Well, the and thing, that's Victor. With Tyrone, when he got elected, mm. about a week before he was sworn in, I saw him at a gang conference, and we were sitting down, and he looked like he had been run over by a truck. And uh, Tyrone looked at me, and he said, "Now that I've caught the car, what do I do with it?" Meaning, like the dog yeah. catching the car. And I said, "Well, Tyrone, the first thing you need to do is get three people." Surround yourself with three good people that'll tell you when your tie's crooked, you got snot running out of your nose, and your pants unzipped. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, if you don't get those three people that tell you how it is, you're not going to be successful. And so he, uh, and I also said, look, Ronald Reagan's uh, quote he said was, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I've surrounded myself with people smarter than me, and that's why I'm successful. And it was always the truth. I did the same thing. Yeah, Reagan, it's like him and Saban, they're like this in one regard, which is they're not scared of having people on their staff that are actually geniuses of what they do. I always said, look, if you don't think God's got a sense of humor, I'm I'm living proof of it, you know. So, But I told Tyrone that, and he said, well, I'll do that. About two and a half years later, Tyrone came to my office early one morning. Mm-hmm. Looked like he had slept in a week. He said probably down hadn't. In, he slept. In, he sat down in a chair in my office and he said, "Bill, where do I find them damn three people?" And uh, I said, "It's too late now, Tyrone." I said, "You know, you 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 have to put these people around you when you start." And and that was a lesson I learned at the beginning. I, I tried to surround myself with people a lot smarter than me, and I didn't mind them being smarter than me. Mm-hmm. And and they were quick to point out, you know, you're screwing up. And uh, I remember when I hired, I had this little girl, a court administrator, and uh, I stole her from child protection services. And uh, you know, she came to work for me, and she was my court administrator, all of about 105 pounds, soaking wet. And I I jumped in somebody's ass in the courtroom or something. And uh, we had got through with court and walked in, and she walked in and said, can I talk to you a minute? And she shut the door, and I said, yeah. She said, uh, can me and you walk outside? I said, for what? She said, because I'm going to try to whip your ass. 
<laughs> and Not I, the first time you've heard that, I'm sure. No, and I said, why? She said, you need to breathe. Take a breath. She said, quit letting this little stuff piss you off. But it was funny, about a year later, yeah, the I little stuff that. was pissing her off, too. Yeah. You know, because... If what would piss you off is just the incompetence of child protection services. Some of the attorneys would come in, had never tried a youth court case, mm-hmm. didn't know anything about it, and didn't know where to sit. Come in, I had attorneys come in wearing flip flops and, and a t shirt and thought they were what? coming in my court. And I said, You need to, you know, you're not coming to my court looking oh, like And they'd say, Well, this is just youth court. And I said, Well, I'll tell you what, sport. It's you, court. It's court. You're not coming in my court looking like that. And I had a professor from MC come in my court wearing flip flops in no time. Who I got to know who? Oh, it's Matt Steffi. Oh, and I put Matt Steffi out of the court. I said, you don't come in my court looking See, like I that. Wish, I wish I could have gotten that. And then he, of course, then at at a, a conference he was speaking at, he had to remind all every judge in the state of Mississippi. He said, the only courtroom I ever been put out of was Skinner's because I wasn't dressed appropriately. Oh, uh, and, what, what? You know, and of course. It's the truth. One I time, mean, you know, that's the way I made them dress. I dress that way. They were gonna dress that way. One time, um, I was this one, Michael. Remember Michael F. Brown? Yeah, <laughs> that knucklehead when he was going, he was being tried out in Rankin County. Yeah. Judge Imfinger was the judge, and the jury was had gone out. They were deliberating. So I'm out doing my thing during the day. Okay, that afternoon, I'm driving, I'm running errands. It's summer. I'm wearing shorts and a, you know, polo polo pullover shirt type. And I get a call. Oh, oh, they just, they unexpectedly just came out, you know. So I've always got my camera gear in my car, so I just rush over there. And I'm wearing tennis shorts, you know. I'm dressed, I'm dressed fine. But so I got my tripod, my camera going in there. And finger would not let me in the damn courtroom with shorts on. I kid you not. I wouldn't have it. I I get it. So <laughs> I wouldn't have it. Michael Guest actually know. was nice, and I showed one of his prosecutors what to do how to yeah. it was real simple here just do this for me just hit this button see that button right there just push it and then when it's over just turn it off okay yeah. that's all you got to do don't think and learn my lesson yeah and, and you know everybody said well why were you such a stickler with that it's because it's, it's respect room, for the court and it's respect for the court and it's respect for yourself Mm-hmm. You know, the, the law profession has turned into a used car sales group. I mean, actually, most used car salesmen look better than than attorneys right now. Well, you and, know, and, and the advertisement, to me, is, is degraded the, the legal profession. I had one professor tell me in, in law school that in the old days at Ole Miss, I think he cited some um, dean or professor up there named Fox who apparently terrified everybody up there. Have you heard of that guy? I hadn't heard of him. Okay, but... I guess I went to MC. So. This, okay, and Bennett, not Patricia, but I think Richard Bennett taught yeah. me this is an ethics. Yeah, and he was an older attorney. I know his time. wife very well. Okay, so yeah. you know what I'm talking about. And he had said that when he went to Ole Miss Law School, that you were they treated like you were in training for the profession, and so you were expected to wear a coat and tie to class every day. Yeah, in law school, period. Yeah. I'm thinking, whoa. You know, it's, I uh, mean, we got guys on Friday morning who were coming in from straight from the dock at six in the morning. I was a stickler for that, and I had extra ties and jackets in my court in my office. And I there's many times where I gave attorney a tie or told him to put on a jacket, and I'd give him a jacket. And uh, it's just because it one, if you're representing somebody in there, they don't want somebody wearing flip flops. They don't want somebody that doesn't have a tie on. They want somebody that looks professional. And and I've had uh, attorneys come in my court that were drunk. I mean, passing out drunk, where my bailiff had to pick them up off the floor. What'd you do? Uh, notified the bar and did all that stuff, and then followed up with that. Sanction them? 
They didn't do Did anything. Did you sanction them or hold them in contempt? No, I actually, at the time, uh, we just called the bar. And uh, at first I thought he was, you know, doing low blood sugar, hypoglycemic or mm-hmm. right. diabetic, diabetic or whatever. Something. But after I went through that whole thing with him, it, he wasn't any of that. He was just intoxicated. And it was 9 o'clock in the morning. And uh, so I called the bar and filed a complaint on him and then followed up with the bar, and they didn't do anything. No, I mean, and I remember I, our late DA, he uh, – had about six or seven bar complaints. I actually signed an affidavit for one of the complainants, and the bar did absolutely well, you nothing. Know, when and Robert, that, what was funny was that day he was in Priester's courtroom that he just just went crazy about because I'd, I'd gotten the transcript. I bought the transcript, put it on my website, and he just went nuts about that because the courtroom was never sealed, and it was an open courtroom, and he was just playing manic that day. I mean, he was just skipping all over the place. I mean, his speech, I mean, he was sweating. His speech was talking 90 miles an hour. I mean, you could tell. I mean, everybody I know that was there I, said he know, was on something. I never had a problem with him. Yeah. Uh, when when he was practicing law before he got to be district attorney, he was always the most professional attorney yeah. in my court. A lot of people said I that. Never had a problem with him. I never had a problem with Somewhere him. Somewhere in his second term is where things started uh, changing. You know, when I was running adult drug court and the youth drug court, mm-hmm. he assigned his prosecutors to, to me, and uh, Shantae Washington was one of them. And anything I needed from him, um, you know, he was going to make it available. I didn't have a problem with him. Where I had my problems with Robert is the last three years of his term, they, they didn't prosecute any sexual offenders in Hines County, and and when I'm doing fifteen, it wasn't to just tw- sexual offenders. Well, when I'm prosecuting, and when I'm seeing fifteen or twenty kids a week that have been sexually abused, yeah. and none of these people are going to trial, yeah, I, there's an issue. I've got an issue, and and you know he and I, you know, had a couple of uh, conversations about that, and and it 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 bothered me because you know these victims deserve some justice, and they weren't getting any justice. Let's go and get into it. What made you decide to become a county court judge? Did you know when you ran you were become youth court judge? <laughs> uh, that's kind of a long story. Um, the nutshell version. You know, I ran for justice court judge, and, you know, there was eight or nine opponents in that race, and nobody gave me a chance to win that. And I had retired from the police department. I think I'd been out of law school about a year and a half and ran for that and ended up with 72% of the vote. Uh, had planned on running for county court judge, and then uh, Mike Parker ran for it. And, uh, you know, Bobby DeLauder was the previous county court judge. He ran for county court judge when I ran for justice court judge. And so, you know, Bobby went to circuit court. Mike Parker came in. Mike Parker gets federal magistrate. So at that time, I decided I was going to run for county court judge and ran for county court judge. And, you know, God's got a sense of humor and got elected. Uh, I assumed I was going to be doing the criminal docket. You know, putting bad guys in jail. And uh, Houston Patton had other things. Well, actually, I think it was Tommy Green that had other plans for me. She didn't want me at that courthouse downtown because she figured I'd be putting too many people in jail, and she didn't want that to happen. And because I didn't hand out blessings like Tommy did, she uh, was opposed to me being down there. So uh, Houston Patton was a senior county court judge at the time, and Barnett was under him. He was doing civil. And... uh, or he was doing, I think he, uh, Patton put him doing criminal at the time, and then Patton did civil. And then I was sent to youth court. 
And I was pissed off. I didn't want to go to youth court. When, when, he, when was this? This was, uh, golly, what year was this? 97? Okay. Uh, 2007, excuse me, okay. 2007. And so he uh, told me to meet him down at youth court on a Friday afternoon. So I met him down there, and he took me on this tour. And he said, uh, you're going to be down here at youth court. And uh, I was pissed off. And uh, so, but he was a senior county court judge, so what was I going to do? So I said, well, he said, you'll start down here on Monday. And so we walked out in the parking lot and we're talking. And he said, look, <clears throat> I'm going to spit out some names of people I think you need to fire. And uh, I said, why? He said, well, I probably should have fired them, but I, I'm tired. I, don't, I, I can't do this anymore. And you've got the energy to fight this. And I would I, imagine. I would imagine youth court wears you out pretty. It uh, it will make you age quick. If you look around the state at youth court judges, you look at them when they go in office, and look at them four years later. I think uh, Tom Broom just it, it, didn't he just quit? No, Kent uh, McDaniel. Kent That's right. But they uh, it just it will age you because you're Why hearing sexual abuse cases every day. You're hearing physical abuse, neglect cases. You're you're doing everything. The Jambalaya is sponsored by Guns and Gear, a proud sponsor of the Mississippi Scholastic Shooting Program that provides competition events for high schools across the state. Bring your student's gun to Guns and Gear for custom shotgun fittings, repair, and even complete restoration. They can adjust the length of the pool for your kids as they continue to grow. Guns and Gear, located on the corner of Yandale Road and Highway 51 in Gluckstadt. Follow them on Facebook for daily deals. You know, so Patton gets out in the parking lot. He said, you need to fire these people. I said, look, Houston, I'm not going to go in and fire everybody. I said, I don't even know who these people are. And he said, well, I'm wore out. I can't do this job anymore. My health is bad. And he said, I cannot battle the Board of Supervisors dealing with this detention center down here and dealing with this. And he said, you can. Because the feds were crawling y'all's ass well, at the time, they, right? Well, they, they, they were, they were looking at us and started fooling yeah. with some of that stuff. But it wasn't as bad as it ended up being. And so, you know, I, I go down to youth court. But it was, I, ironically, when I was leaving youth court that day, Bobby DeLauder calls me on the cell phone. And he said, hey, Bill, what you doing? I said, I'm headed home. He said, you pissed off? I said, yeah. He said, look, I want you to understand, you can have more of an impact on crime in Hines County than I ever can being in circuit court. He said, uh, you need to embrace youth court. And, uh, you know, that was something positive that nobody has, has said to me. So when I went down there, of course, we made a lot of changes. We started court at 830, and we wouldn't stop till we got through. I, I, don't, I didn't do lunch. We were going to move our cases through. And, uh, you know, back then – Kids that would get arrested for house burglary were having to write a, a, a book report. Well, that's not accountability, you know, because they'd write a book report or, <clears throat> or one of the uh, jailers would help them write a book report and they'd get released. I'm and sure two days later, they were, they were back. Yeah. And so we started holding these kids accountable. Uh, Claude McInnes, who had been down there forever, came to me and said, look, Bill, we need to do this program. He, he had this program he wanted to implement back there called the 90-day program. So if a kid was put in a detention center for 90 days, of course, they went to school. Jackson Public Schools was part of it. They had to go through drug. I mean, we, had a, we started a drug court down there thanks to Brenda Mathis because when I got the day I got sworn in, Swan Yerger swore me in as a special circuit court judge. So I was given the adult drug court the same day I was sworn in. So I had the adult drug court, and Brenda Mathis was my court administrator. So she helped me set up. I was the only judge in the state that had an adult drug court and a youth drug court. So we ran those, and we made a lot of good changes down there. 
uh, we were very effective. We had about a 70% reduction in recidivism the first year I was down there. Wow. And, uh, and you know, that's significant. But youth court takes its toll on you, not because you're dealing with the delinquent kids, but because when you're seeing, you know, 18-month-old babies that have been sexually abused, that have two SDDs. You know, and, uh, and people would say to me, yeah, Skinner's crazy. And yeah. uh, you know what my retort would usually be? If you had to see the shit that he has to see every day, I remember a friend of mine became a youth court judge in another county. And, my gosh, I mean, that guy, he had to deal with some major stuff just you just learn how to absorb it you know you well, deal with this all day then you go home and you and just, you can't talk about it to anybody yeah. because you know everything's confidential look i had uh, of course phil fisher came in my court one day uh, tony greer uh McCorder, all these guys came and sat in the court at one time or another and them jokers would get up and leave during the middle of court and say i can't hear these cases yeah. i cannot hear this You've been listening to the Jambalaya with the Kingfish. Tune in next week for part two of this episode.